Welcome to a special episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey. In this episode, the staff of Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies and some of our patron members attending ASCA 2023 talk about some of their observations after the first day of ASCA 2023 in Louisville, Kentucky. We apologize for the sound quality of the recording, which was not recorded in our studios, and some of the speakers were not close to the microphone. Welcome to the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, the longest-running podcast specifically focused on the freestanding ambulatory surgery industry. We would like to thank our sponsors, Surgical Information Systems, providing cutting-edge information solutions for surgery providers, Trivalence. Trivalence offers a comprehensive next-generation ASC solution that optimizes payment and supply chain performance, enabling actionable data insights, and Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies the nation's leading regulatory and accreditation compliance resource for ambulatory surgery centers. For more information about our sponsors, please visit our website at ASCPodcast.com. Welcome to episode 189 of the ASC podcast with John Gailey for May 18th, 2023, recording live at ASCA 2023 in Louisville, Kentucky. This is Sue Cronkite, Chief Researcher for the ASC podcast with John Gailey and Operations Manager for Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. We'd like to remind our listeners that the ASC regulatory environment is a rapidly evolving landscape and the material presented in this episode is based on the most current information available as of the date of the recording. As such, it's important to recognize that this information may be subject to change and we advise all ASCs to stay up to date with the latest regulations and guidelines issued by their relevant regulatory bodies. Uh, so uh, this is John Gailey. I'm uh, here with a very distinguished panel of ambulatory healthcare strategies, employees, uh, speakers from the conference, patron members. Did I miss anything? Uh, and I'm just going to quickly, because we have a qu- quite a crowd. I, uh, what is it? At least 12 people, I think, here. So I'm going to ask you to quickly go around, introduce yourselves and your role, and uh, then we'll get into our fascinating discussion. Start with you, Donna. Donna Macchio. I'm a regulatory specialist with ambulatory healthcare strategies. Hi, I'm Shane Stanford. I'm the current president of Virginia Ambulatory Surgery Association. Hi, I'm Laura Plummer, support specialist, ambulatory health strategies. Hi, I'm Mary O'Day, ambulatory health strategies, support specialist. Hi, I'm Diana Powell. I'm an attorney and I work with ambulatory healthcare strategies. Hi, Judy D'Ambrosio. I'm the Director of Education for Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. Mike D'Ambrosio. I'm a Regulatory Specialist with Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. Corey Prisco, Administrator of Hudson Crossing Surgery Center and Vice President of the New Jersey ASC Association. Lori Roderick, I'm the Clinical Director for Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies and the Infection Prevention Consultant. Hi, I'm Amy Durbano with Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, and I'm a support specialist. I am Alex Borneman, 
Director of Operations for AHS. So this is by far our largest crowd for one of these events. Those of you that have been following us for six years now know that we uh, we love doing this as we all get together and just have some observations about about the uh, the, the the conference and what we saw and and heard during the conference. Uh, two things before we get into the questions: we apologize about the sound quality. We're recording in a very big ballroom. We're trying to be as close to each other as possible, but uh, these people really don't want to get bit too close to each other. I also obviously uh, we want to make a big uh, reach out to our, our, our thank you to our sponsors uh, Surgical Information Systems our long-term sponsor of the podcast. Uh, we keep meeting with them over and over again here and and thanking them for their support and and uh, the wonderful things that they do for the the industry and Trivalence our newest uh, sponsor who is also here, uh, you know, plugging their brand new and, and incredible product uh, for uh, supply chains in, in, amb in the ambulatory surgery industry. So again, thank you for them. And of course, Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, who's been a sponsor since uh, day one on, uh, on January 1st, 2018. And with that, I'm going to start with, uh, uh, actually, I'm going to start with you, Corey. Uh, Corey uh, just finished a, a session. Uh, I'm going to let you introduce the session and then the title of it, because I already forgot the night. I know what it was about, but I forgot the title. Uh, Corey is a patron member. She is a, a well-known in, uh, industry expert in this, and she did a wonderful presentation. Go for it. Thank you. Um, I'm, I just finished my presentation on building a better relationship with your medical director. So um, we had a nice session. We talked about strategies. Uh, well, first, we talked about why it's important to have a good relationship with your medical director. Um, then we talked about some strategies. And then, um, you know, finally, finally left it with what to do if you, those strategies don't work. And and did you get feedback from the audience on this, by the way, as this was going on, uh, about their relationships? I think a lot of the relationships need building. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, our session was, um, like I said, in the session right before happy hour, so rough attendance. Yeah. Um, but probably could have used um, a more prime time slot mm -hmm. uh, just to encourage more people to go, because I do think, and not just the medical director either, you know, building better relationships is something I think we all struggle with. Um, with different key roles at the surgery center. So what were some uh, suggestions or like bullet points that you uh, you gave to the audience? Um, I talked about the, the need for constant communication, both informally and formally. Um, and I really tried to stress the informal conversations because I really think that's where most of the decisions are made and that's where the, the relationships are built. Um, so the importance of having weekly meetings, um, I know one of the attendees said how hard it is because their medical director is so busy that they're constantly, mm -hmm. you know, they can't maintain um, those meetings. So I suggested, you know, sometimes text messages is a great place to start. You know, we let's use the technology when it's there and see what's a convenient time to talk to them. But really, really being very um, deliberate about keeping up communication. Wonderful. Thank you. Shane, I'm going to turn to you for a second. What was what session was uh, the most interesting to you? The one about financials, it was really well spoken, um, the caliber speakers, mm -hmm. it was a great overview of the financials and every administrator, you know, that's some, that's coming from a clinical background, it was beneficial to me. What was the biggest takeaway that you had from that? Just the things that he had, over time he'd been in the field for many times, so he had some key points to look at on your financial statements yeah. to improve efficiency overall, the performance. So what was his suggestion for the most important document, if you can remember? Cash, cash, cash flow. flow. That's interesting. That's interesting because 
Uh, and Tony Lyons just joined us. He's our financial uh, specialist with Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. He and I are, are both CPAs. So uh, you, unfortunately, Tony just walked into the conversation. But I would say as a CPA, we often, as, as CPAs, say the balance sheet is the most important. And cash flow is important when you're in trouble. But often those cash flow statements kind of mirror things. I don't, you look like you're ready to say something. Go for it. You know, the, the income statement, the income statement in the uh, balance sheet, I mean, the income statement in the cash flow, the destination is the balance sheet. Right. So that's where the treasure is. So uh, the way you get that treasure is through a, a good operating income and, uh, of course, good cash flows. It means you're collecting yeah. the money you're earning. And then that builds up your uh, treasure. That's, that's where, that's where your... Uh, that's where your wealth is. And where the distributions to the doctors yeah. go. And that's probably, if I were to take a guess, that was probably what the end result there was of that cash flow statement, right? And make sure that you had reserves for yeah. rainy days. Yeah. Donna. Yes. What was your favorite session? I had two favorites. Um, my first favorite was the session on what ASCs can do with the disparity in, in oh, uh, yes. healthcare. Very interesting. Some really... Um, Good tips on how you can interview your patients preoperatively to see maybe where they are on the spectrum of, of um, not just healthcare um, availability, but uh, their healthcare <coughs> knowledge and education, and and what kind of resources to help them. Um, very interesting. Was there also not typically thought of in an ASC? Was there also a discussion about uh, culture diversity training for the staff and and what you can do? There, there definitely was um, a discussion about culture diversity training for the staff, um, and I think that th there were some suggestions about having um, perhaps the, the uh, religious leader of different cultures come in or the community leader of different cultures come in and help to, um, to explain how you can better understand your patients and how you can help them better understand you. And there was quite a, there's quite a number of sessions uh, this year, uh, and, I, and it started last year because I remember moderating one session on culture diversity and, and recruiting people and making sure that as you're recruiting people that you're also understanding the audience you're with. So it's interesting that we're, we're finally getting there with that. It was topic. a very good session, very good session. Alex, I'm sure you attended every sec single session on life safety here, and uh, Mike, were you with him? Uh, on a few, yeah. Okay, <laughs> so I'll, I'll start with Alex on uh, life safety. Go for it. So, and actually, we only had one so far, and it was, a, it was an interesting one because they, they paired it with infection control. So it was HVAC and infection control, um, really focusing on how to do an ICRA during construction. Infection um, control risk assessment. Yeah, yeah. Yep, exactly. So I, I thought it was a great, great introduction to that process and um, really touched on some key points too with regards to HVAC and considerations when going into a survey, um, which I, I thought they melded together very well. Um, was there anything that surprised you uh, this time, anything that was like... So there was, there was an interesting comment um, that they, they focused on um, the permitting, the idea of permitting um, as part of the infection control risk assessment. So once you finish your risk assessment, that the infection preventionist actually should be 
granting a permit, basically, oh, to be able to then do that construction. So in other words, they're the final sign-off before uh, they, they had the construction start. Yep. And that, that's a really good point, making sure, because I think so many times people launch into projects they don't even think about necessarily as a construction, reconstruction, or, or maintenance uh, yep. program. And uh, and that, that inspection control coordinator should be that last. I see Donna, you know, yeah. shaking her head. We yeah. had this discussion because yeah. when I was running my center, when we were doing little projects, we didn't think yeah. I mean, for the bigger projects, yes, but for the smaller ones, we didn't even think about an infection control risk assessment. <coughs> uh, how about you, Mike? Add on, uh, to that discussion on life safety, the uh, presenter did a great job of, of kind of highlighting some of the top things he's seen as far as deficiencies. One of the big ones was uh, when you have a when you have a, uh, a firewall penetration to make sure. That you follow up and and uh, that they're using the, your contractors using the proper uh, materials. A lot of stuff that uh, you know says fire stop, etc., may not be uh, the proper rating for stopping those penetrations. Example is uh, you, if somebody goes to Home Depot, you can actually buy a material called Fire Stop that is really not Yeah. So uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and actually, so he he misspoke. He was talking about Fire Block. Um, one of the uh, the foam, the expandable foams that are that's orange, but it's still called fire block. You would think it would be yeah, something still, that would, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So but it's more flammable than wood, so, <laughs> so don't that, use it. I found that to be a good. Tip. Yeah, uh, I want to make a comment. We mentioned this in a couple episodes ago that um, we had a center that was cited. Alex, it was a new center, right? I mean, literally, you had been looking at the... Uh, as far as orange goes... Uh, no, no, I'm uh, talking about the, the penetration. <laughs> because we've had that. Yeah, we've had that, too. <laughs> well, I mean, you had looked at the night before the uh, survey, and there were no penetrations, and then the surveyor got in there, and there was a penetration, because, of course, the IT people had been in there in the meantime. Uh, and uh, I had made the suggestion, and I'm I, interested in what other people on the panel are thinking about this. Just put a sign above the firewall, like, you know, go to a photocopy or make tons of signs and say, anytime you put a hole in here see the administrator you know and so because it as a surveyor it's the easiest thing for me to cite yeah yeah and they they really have a, the newer construction um, has really focused on labeling the firewalls up mm -hmm. above the, the ceiling as well which helps but helps it's not going to help uh, it helps yeah. it helps an educated contractor it does right. not help an educated <laughs> that's <contractor>. right <laughs> especially those IT guys uh, I was just going to mention about the ICRA. I've, I've recently um, learned this too, not only inside your facility, but also projects that are going on outside your facility that could possibly come in, surveyors are looking at if there's any potential of an infection control issue yeah. with your center. Yeah, especially with regards to your HVAC system, yeah. what it can be pulling in. Or the water. <clears throat> or the water. You know, if the water system yeah. is going to be interrupted or possibly contaminated right there's been a lot of big news in uh ohio about that yeah you know con contaminated oh, water supplies oh. yeah. <laughs> uh judy sorry i didn't prep you uh no that's good poor judy has uh got a back problem and this is by the way this is the worst place to be if you've got a back problem because you are walking what is it i mean i think it said fifteen thousand steps 
Got a quarter mile. <laughs> Easily. Just means more painkillers. But go ahead, Judy. What what was the session? So Judy is our director of education services. She always and, and she obviously is a regulatory specialist also. What what did you uh, what was your favorite? I, I attended the one that you just moderated um, about the EHR because not because I was the regulatory specialist or the education because of the medical record. Um, and it, I felt badly because the person that was going to speak wasn't able to come. So John had to like fish people out of the audience to make them a panel, scare the heck out of them. <laughs> well, it's not quite true. That, uh, tra uh, ASCA did that, but uh, they did find a good panel of people. Yeah, I, I was impressed because none of them had any time to prepare for anything. Yeah. had any idea what questions they were going to get. So I gave them a lot of credit because like, I like to talk, but I wouldn't like to have been in that position at all. Yeah. yeah. So I gave them a lot of credit. And I enjoyed listening to people talk about when they're first instituting an EMR because now that I'm working with them so regularly, it's good to hear where they struggle. And um, I, I apologize because I don't remember their names and it's not written in the thing, so I can't yeah. give them credit. But the lady in the middle, Tracy, Tracy, thank you, um, made some really good ideas about how to get the buy-in before they put, you bring the system in. Right. And they have this list. A clipboard in your uh, lunchroom or for someone that says everything I hate about this EMR and let your staff go nuts on this piece of paper so that when you go back to the vendor you can say okay these are the things they're struggling with what can you do to help us make this more efficient um, and by doing that they all now have buy-in they were all involved in how the um, EMR system was built and I thought I got you were so smart yeah it is so smart so I was impressed with that, especially because she had like didn't prepare that ahead of time. That just happened. Yeah, really Such a simple idea, Judy, just yeah. to let your staff write it down and bring it to the so vendor. Did you do that about any new anything? That's about great. Any new anything. Everything great I hate about this new linen service we've gotten, or everything I hate about you know anything. Right. I'm um, gonna let them feel like we want you to vent those things because it, it, it's important to us to make sure that you're happy, and, and that goes. Absolutely. It was an interesting uh, session. I, uh, you know, I moderated the questions from the audience, and then there was a moderator up there asking questions, and just trying to field those things on the fly was was kind of interesting. But, uh, you know, Judy, what would, what did you think about that that discussion about AI, uh, artificial intelligence? Well, I think <laughs> I think that your average person, well, your average person over the age of let's say twenty six. Mm -hmm. It's kind of frightened by the whole concept of it. Um, and again, was it the lady in the middle? Yeah. She talked about how they could have, you could write your discharge instructions and then tell this little AI bot to write them as if they're to be read to somebody with an eighth grade reading level. And they would change them so that mm -hmm. your, this particular patient would understand them better. They could, okay, wait, wait, wait this is bot. I can do no, that. No, John. John yeah, tries. Like John plays with it. Chat <laughs> well, GPT, and it actually is. I, I've only it's kind of amazing. And everything that's on TV is frightening. Like they don't make you it, like it. But there's so many things. So I was the one that actually mentioned because she didn't know much about uh, about AI. And when she uh, mentioned, uh, you know, the, some of the things I struggle with, like discharge instructions, I gave the example of how. Uh, last night, for those of you that listened to the podcast that we recorded last night, uh, I wrote the intro. That's the only part of the whole thing that was scripted. I wrote the intro and looked at it and said, uh, this is really boring, you know, and Sue's still asleep. I can't get her to, like, proof it for me. So I took it and I, I copied it and I wrote, make me sound better. 
and then I, I, I put in parentheses what I had written. And so those of you that read, listen to that, you might want to go back and listen to that. It made me sound, if I may say so myself, uh, since it made me sound completely different than what I did in the beginning, uh, very good. And, and it was my words. It was just in a different phrase, phraseology, uh, and it really sounded much more uh, upbeat and much more interesting. And then I, I segued when I was talking to Tracy about that. I said, imagine doing that with discharge instructions. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I'm looking at you. We, we struggle with those things in the surgery centers with the discharge instructions. You know, we try to, to bring it down to the level of the individuals that are in there, Corey, right? And what I suggested, you know, maybe you should be able to take some of those phrases in the discharge instructions, even if they have bullet points. Uh, Chat GPT can, can move that around and make, uh, you know, make it sound better. And with everybody having <coughs> so much experience and you've talked about this and, and given these instructions so many times, mm -hmm. you may not even realize the terms that you're using that somebody might not understand. So that's right. you know, one way. And then obviously you have to read it over and make sure it's accurate. But Yeah, you, you, you always know, have to. Don't yeah. let it come out. No. You know, there was a couple things even in the one that I wrote that just was wrong. Yeah. But uh, so you, you, you can't turn everything over to ChatGPT, which, by the way, is one thing that I fear about using AI is that people will get, because it was kind of neat, you know, I just had to type it in and, you know, let it write something up and I just read it off and. It's gotta be a tool, not a. It's right, not, right, not an replace. end result. So yeah. I thought that was fascinating. Uh, Mary, Mary's one of our uh, support specialists and Mary, talk up a little bit here and what what, what was the session you liked the most? Um, I like the uh, CMS quality reporting. Um, basically because uh, my background has been, you know, my background has been, um, you know, Medicaid, Medicare. Mm -hmm. Before you came to us, yes. Yeah, yeah. so um, I find it interesting as to, um, you know, basically making good decisions on what you're going to build Medicare, Medicaid for, and making sure you have quality research and and um, statistics to you know check out, you know checking out, making sure that you're billing properly, getting reimbursed properly. So I thought that was interesting. I kind of liked it too because uh, uh, some of the stuff that we do, um, you know, just looking at what they actually are uh, keeping track of. So such as you know the patient burns and yeah. Expanding the list of yeah. well, to your point, I think one of the things that we are struggling with, uh, and Sue, I know you've been involved in this too, is how do we actually uh, support our clients at AHS when we're giving them the information about what they need to track, and nine times out of ten, that's not the problem. The problem is how do we actually get in? How do you actually get in and report the data? in the systems that you've signed up for. And, you know, so we're, we're talking, I'm, I'm using hand signals if it's not going to help our listeners, but, you know, we're talking at this level, and meanwhile, they're here like, okay, what's my login again? You know, rather than what am I uploading into it? So that's good. Uh, I'm going to look behind me. for uh, uh, Lori is, is anxious to get to the alcohol in the... Uh, we all are. <laughs> tick tock, tick tock. <laughs> so uh, you moderated a couple sessions. You uh, attended a couple sessions. What? What? Uh, give me a couple takeaways. Um, well, the last session that I was able to moderate was on uh, conscious sedation or nurse uh, administering 
um, sedation, and it was really well um, attended, uh, as some of you were there, but it was kind of scary mm -hmm. when I think of some centers that aren't going to be doing the right thing. Yeah. Bottom line. Mm -hmm. You know, and the presenter was awesome. She uh, specializes in um, sedation, but she's a born uh, PACU nurse. And she also does legal consulting. And the bottom line is if you, our listeners, are not following the standards of care, whether it's for your job, um, you know, your scope of practice, or the standards of care in the association that is best suited for that, you're going to lose. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's something you really have to take back and and be a strong advocate in your centers, whether you're the um, nurse director or the administrator, to make sure it's done correctly because it's really all about the safety of that patient. Lori, did they talk about, I'm, I'm curious, it, doesn't it seem like we've been getting a lot of questions both mm -hmm. um, on the podcast, you know, our patron program, during conferences like this, uh, as well as during our Saturday drop-in sessions for the patrons. Uh, and from our clients, I'm sorry, um, at, about this, much more so than we've had in the past. What, what do you think is driving it? Do they talk about that at all? Well, the, the thing that's driving it is the lack of <coughs> anesthesia yes, providers, exactly. whether it's um, CRNAs or anesthesiologists. That's what's driving it. Mm -hmm. um, and another part that's possibly driving it is the payers that aren't paying the anesthesia provider to perform the sedation. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So... Yeah. In order for that patient to have sedation, the only other um, way to do it is to have the nurse give it. Right. But if you're going to do that, you have to follow the parameters of the safety of nurse-administered anesthesia. And we're actually going to do some uh, some discussions about that in a couple. Really said, no, we're not. But <laughs> no, I mean, I think it's becoming very important. And, and your point uh, is well taken. It, let doctors say. Don't need to throw the doctors. I'm, I'm looking at Corey here, who had a long conversation about medical directors. But uh, we know we don't want to throw them under the bus on this one. But they're the ones that are driving this whole discussion. And we really, uh, this is where you as nurses have to step in and say, no, that is not safe. We don't have the skills to be able to do this yet. You know, maybe you'll be able to get to it. And there's a certain point at which it's well beyond your scope of practice. Well, you know, there was a couple of questions that I kind of shook my head at because, you know, I'm very old and it has been a while since I've been in the um, arena of being the administrator or the director of nursing. And there are still physicians out there that are pushing the envelope. So when the anesthesia group says that patient's not a candidate to have it done in my center, the doctor says, well, that's fine. We'll just give them conscious sedation. Oh, yeah. Now, that just, I just kind of no chuckled. I, I loved asking that question because I was like, hmm, still doing it, huh? Yeah. You know, so you, that's when you Can, have to put your big girl or big boy pants on and say no. I, I'm actually going to look at our attorney now. Uh, <laughs> I'm taking it out of order, but so uh, you cringed uh, when yeah. she said that. So from a, you know, like try to defend them in court. No. Yeah, right. I mean, there's no defense, right? No, it is no. 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 You're negotiating. You're suddenly negotiating. Yeah. There isn't. And it's fun. I'm also cringing because it ties in. I'm listening to what everybody's saying, and it's tying in to the sessions that I that I was a part of today. 
Um, we had, you know, like, one was contracts, and it was about contracting the vendors. But getting, and if you have a problem with somebody, in a, like going to your staff and saying, what don't you like about them? And having a way to document that. So we got into copy. So, and you know, you're just talking about, and then the, the shall we say, shortcuts, or things that are happening, and it's like, no, there's a standard of care, and you have to follow it. That's it, you have to follow it. Yeah. Because there, there isn't, there isn't wiggle. Uh, Diana, while we're talking to you, uh, what session uh, did you think was uh, your uh, your uh, most interesting? Diana, Diana's our newest hire, actually, in the company, so she's still learning about um, about the ASA industry in, in, in specific. So the, because uh, I, I come from this world, it was, and Mike was there too. It was cybersecurity and ransomware. And it oh was, yeah. It was that's totally you know part of my wheelhouse, and uh, they started by they did a great. I I told them afterwards because they talked to me afterwards, and I said I don't think you scared everybody enough. Like you needed to scare them more about this. Yeah. Because if you get shut down because of an attack, I mean you you are shut down. And he and they went over. They said there's two different kinds of impacts. There's a financial impact. The ransom payment, the incident response costs, and the legal fees, and the regulatory penalties. Yeah. And then there's also the operational impacts. Which could probably be as much as the the the, uh, the penalties Absolutely. themselves. Yeah. Because it's the patient care and then the downtime and revenue loss. And they talked about that. And they said, well, the police department, and they're not going to want you to pay the ransom. But if you're looking at everybody being canceled, everybody coming in and not being able to do what they need to do and have those procedures performed and also all the records and everything that are jeopardized, he said, you might make the decision to pay the ransom. But then what if you, you know, it, so it brought up a whole, a whole issue. And, and I asked about, because we have five states now that have passed uh, data privacy law just like the uh, European Union and the GDPR. So we've got California, Colorado, Connecticut, Utah, and Virginia. So if your surgery centers are treating people that live in those states, there's an extra added burden of, of standard of care when it comes to your data and how are they addressing this. So let me ask you this. Is it that the patients live in that state or that the center is in that state? So, it, it's, Or is it both? It's both uh, because the, there's going to be a standard. Uh, there's there's going to be regulations that dictate to the center that's located within those states about how they have to protect the data. But there's also the rights of the patients that come from that other state that their state says you have to protect their data. So I live in Connecticut, and I'm driving into New York City to have my procedure done, which is actually typical. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> it just it is. Especially in tri-state areas. Right. right. So, the, so I think it's going to become more and more typical. Yeah. And and so what the data you have the the center that's located in New York City is going to have a duty to take care of the data for the citizen of Connecticut. I this this is what I love. So it's how do you and then the question was Mike and I were talking about it, well where's our responsibility? Do we have one? And it's just informing 
the centers, informing them and letting them know that this is out there. And I thought it was, and I thought it was eye-opening that you know, as of October 2022, there's been six million yeah. medical records uh, attacked. Uh, wow. At, uh, and they could cost anywhere from five hundred to one hundred and forty thousand dollars per uh, breach. So wow! Important. So take it seriously. It, and also response time, because those are written into some of the laws. How much time do you have to respond? And who do you have to tell? Yeah. And how do you have to tell them? I mean, it, it's very, it's it's a very wide web. <laughs> I'm going to turn to Amy now. Amy, uh, one of our support specialists. Uh, what, what session? I haven't seen you all day, so uh, what, what session did you like most? So there's been a lot of really good sessions, but I think my favorite so far was, and everybody else is going to fall asleep, but um, <laughs> nasal decolonization and preventing surgical site infections. And <laughs> they had a lot. She's a new know, nurse. Could you um, spell those words? <laughs> I can. <laughs> the vast majority of surgical site infections can actually be genetically matched to flora on the actual patient, either yeah. on their skin or in their nose. So um, they've suggested, you know, they were looking into studies that worked on uh, reducing the amount of bacteria on the, on the patient, whether it's preoperative bathing, you know, routines, or even something like mucorosin in the nostrils to try to kill some of that bacteria because often the patients are self-inoculating themselves and that's yeah. where the infections are coming from. So maybe a lot of them, it doesn't matter as much, but somebody doing total joints or cardiovascular surgery, it really matters, you know, the bacterial load. Well, it's interesting as we're talking about chat GPT and, you know, artificial intelligence and rewriting, you know, some of this stuff. Now, those of you that have not heard about chat GPT, keep in mind that the database for chat GPT ended in, what was it, September of 2021. Right. So it's almost two years behind, so it's not necessarily going to have the updated data uh, in, the, in the app itself. Um, but it just seems to me, Amy, that this is a great application for, because it's all education, correct? Mm -hmm. um, to be, you know, a, 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 let something like ChatGPT write, you know, pre-op instructions or post-op instructions to make sure the, the, uh, the patient is, is well-versed in what's in Right. Laura, I know you've been busy getting alcohol for the people here <laughs> who... Who throws what? me under the bus right now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Not Laura. <laughs> Some people, my favorite people I read. <laughs> <laughs> There's thirsty ones on this side of the room. You're, you're on drugs. <clears throat> so, <laughs> so when you're not getting alcohol for our staff, uh, what, did, what session did you... This is important job. <laughs> Thank you, Jen. I appreciate it. I'm glad to see well. my efforts. I had to go to two stands because Alex wanted bourbon. I <laughs> um, and, and I had to sneak them besides because you're only allowed to. But anyway, um, I enjoyed the that CMS this one this morning. Like <laughs> Maybe. So. I have a feeling we're going to be cutting some of these sections here. But I was afraid there was a lot of people trying to help me figure out how to carry all that stuff. But, um, I like the CMS, the CMS requirements one. I was fascinated with patient satisfaction. And ASCs are going to have such a struggle with that. And point of, point of order, uh, uh, Laura does a lot of our patient satisfaction, information gathering, summarization, et cetera. I was, I was happy to hear they only need 200 in a 12-month period. 
But then I don't you're, know. You're talking about for the upcoming for the change upcoming to changes. Yeah. And I don't, you know, 2024 is voluntary and 2025 is mandatory. Right. And I just don't know how much information you're going to collect on only 200, um, especially if your center has a large volume. Yeah. I think asking your patients to do two different surveys is going to be difficult at mm -hmm. best. And I just... Yeah. I just found it 34 questions with an option to add 14 more. I mean, stop. You get to question five and you're done. Mm -hmm. so, uh, unless you're very dissatisfied. Unless yes. you're very dissatisfied. Yeah. Then you can ask them 100 questions and they're going to add another 40 to it. Yeah. yeah. So, so I'll segue into the patient satisfaction because tomorrow there is a session on patient satisfaction that... I'll be presenting, but it was written by the esteemed Ann Geyer, mm -hmm. who can't be here. So I'm going to that one tomorrow too. So I can only hope that I can do a good job, but I'm go I probably will have her on my phone listening. She will answer the question uh, that they ask because I've had people say to me, you're doing that one? Because <laughs> obviously I don't like people and I don't want it. I don't care, I don't care if they're happy or not. Right? Speaking as long is, as they're not infected. Right. They better be clean. Speaking as someone who has had to do one of Anne's uh, speeches in the past, uh, one thing I realize is I am younger than she is but there is no way I have anywhere near the energy level that woman oh, gosh, has because no. she does twice as many slides as I do and it seems like half the amount of time and it's always amazing what she's able to fit into that time. Yeah. But yeah. great job. I'm sure you're going to do a great job with Well, her. that's what she said, but I, th I don't think she's right. But um, <laughs> we'll see. I don't know how well it went in New Jersey. I was just going to say, you did an awesome job at the New Jersey's conference. Well, and the operative. <laughs> you did a great job with the delivery. <laughs> So you get the credit. <laughs> oh, oh no, I'll give in all the credit. And if they don't like it, I'll give in all that credit too. <laughs> uh, Tony, I'm going to segue to you. You and I have not talked at all today, so I have no idea what sessions you were in. And Tony is actually like a mile away from the microphone, so you try to speak up. But uh, So what, what did you, I'm, I'm assuming you kind of went to financial sessions, right? Yeah, more or less, you know, as much as I could because, you know, uh, that's not all that happens in the ASP. Yeah, that's right. But uh, I went to it. It was, uh, I have to read it. It's a long title. How to know what is, what? How to know when it is time to consider a strategic partner. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It was interesting. So uh, I, I selected that because everything else was about, you know, nasal. I enjoyed it. It was uh, because it, it, it looked at the issues that, that the facilities that ASCs have, operational issues, whether it's AR or um, EMR, uh, uh, supply costs, supply chain, and not being able to scale up to where they need to, that could be an issue. Mm -hmm. That would require a strategic partner, maybe maybe just a hospital. There's all kinds of strategic partners. Right. Maybe a hospital partner uh, or partnering with another ASC. Who knows? Just where they Venture capital, the big company, yeah. expertise because they're not being able to scale up to that and then, uh, of course, there's the access to capital, which could be because you need another, uh, you know, you need to replace all of your equipment. You've, you've been a GAI center for 10 years, you have to replace the equipment. And so that could be, you know, venture capital or, uh, you know, 
or you know whatever it's, it's going to be another another partner uh, it could even be a, a hospital system but for another reason of course these could be compounded reasons too or you need to change your location you know? <laughs> uh, and then uh, then there's the whole issue of retirement and I'm not covering them all but you know, yeah some of the, you know retirement and physicians they want to cash out so they want to sell it but then there's the whole matter of, well if you're going to sell them you need, you need to hang, need to hang around for three years or so to give uh, you know whoever's buying an opportunity to replace them you know unless there's some other option there but the thing that was interesting that I found that uh, when when you're considering this, you have to get really honest. Honest about what your, uh, what your center is, what it's capable of, where its weaknesses are, and you know, on the, on the retirement issue, the physicians have to, they have to face the music about, well, they have something of value, but they, they've got, you know, they've got to, uh, they've got to give something too. They've got yeah. to stay there longer or, or take a lower price or whatever. And of course, every <laughs> physician feels there, ASC is worth a lot of money. Uh, even without them. Oh, yeah. Right. That, that's, the, that's the critical thing there is that the, they try to value it at how much they're bringing to it, but as soon as they leave, yeah. that value goes down. And, and that's, those are obvious things, but, uh, uh, you know, to sit down with a, with a group and just talk in an honest way and, and to come to those points. And I just felt like these are, these are things that are important when you're considering a partner, but they're important things all the time. Yeah to be considering it. Uh, we have some clients who are doing some benchmarking for, and I, I just felt like, you know, the benchmarking, you know, when I do benchmarking for uh, a client, uh, you know, I should consider it in this way, if I was gonna buy this company. Yeah. And to, you know, give them a, a good, honest picture of where they're at without, you know, getting you know, chased out of the room. Right. Uh, for, their, for their sake, so that they can be prepared if they wanna sell it sometime, or they wanna retire sometime. You know, uh, so I just appreciated overall. It gave a real, uh, it, it hit on the, the points that are going to be important when it when it comes to actually selling a center, which is when the value really needs to be recognized. So that was a good session. Well, I want to thank everybody. Uh, they're already itching to get out of here and get some alcohol, but I, I appreciate. Twelve minutes. Twelve minutes. Twelve minutes. <laughs> Great conversation. Uh, we'll uh, we'll talk to you all tomorrow, and thanks again. It's been a long day, and the surveyors just left, and you are exhausted and looking at the list of items that you have to address. You wonder, how can I deal with this and still take care of my patients? More importantly, you wonder, how can I ever keep up with all the regulations, standards, and accreditation requirements? How can I always be prepared for a survey and reduce my stress levels? Well, that's what Ambitory Healthcare Strategies does, day in, day out. We become your outsourced regulatory and accreditation resource. We can maintain your policy manual, develop your education programs, help out with fire and disaster drills, do your risk assessments, oversee your quality improvement activities, help run your quality improvement meetings and governing body meetings, and we can even prepare your monthly or quarterly financial statements and help you figure out where you are financially. We are a retainer-based service. We don't take ownership. We don't charge based on your revenue. We have one fixed monthly fee, and we can tailor your services to your exact needs. So whether you're looking for help getting over a survey, preparing for a survey, or looking for a long-term relationship to assist you with your ongoing regulatory and or financial needs, please give us a call at 
594-1167 or email us at info at ahstrategies.com. That is info at ah-strategies.com or visit our website at ah-strategies.com. This episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey is sponsored by Surgical Information Systems, Trivalence, and Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. Surgical Information Systems provides cutting-edge information solutions for surgery providers. Trivalence offers a comprehensive next-generation ASC solution that optimizes payment and supply chain performance, enabling actionable insights. Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies is the nation's leading regulatory and accreditation compliance resource for ambulatory surgery centers. For more information about our sponsors, visit our website at ASCPodcast.com. This podcast is an educational and operational tool and is not intended to be a comprehensive resource for all rules, regulations, and standards that an ambulatory surgery center must meet. The advice provided should not be considered as, nor does it constitute, legal advice or opinion. When reviewing specific situations involving legal and regulatory issues, attorneys and other professionals should be consulted. This has been a production of Eden Group Development. All rights are reserved. If you are interested in advertising or sponsoring the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, please email us at info at ASCPodcast.com. We would love to hear your questions and comments. Please email us at comments at ASCPodcast.com.